0: Last week we saw how Paul shared with us his relationship with Gentiles, with those of a different background, different culture, the ministry that he had towards them. And and he shared with us some wonderful philosophies uh, of ministry that kind of drove him and guided and led him as he sought to minister to those who uh, just had a different background than himself. And you know, when we look at a man like Paul and you read through the book of Acts and you see the ministry that he was able to do through the power of the Spirit of God and and what he was able to endure and and the fact that he just continued to minister and go from place to place to different people groups of different backgrounds, reaching them with the gospel. We we often just ask ourselves, you know, what is it that Enabled Paul to do that. How was he such a, a godly man? How was he a man that was able to deal with those horrible circumstances and continue on? You know, how did he have such a deep relationship with God? And the reason we want to know the answers to those questions is because we want to be like that. You know, we do Lord, I want to be used in a powerful way. I want to have that deep relationship as well. I want to be willing to endure the suffering and the conflict and the struggles and the persecution that come for living for you and sharing the gospel. And so we want to know, what is it that helped Paul be that man so that we can be that way ourselves? Well, this morning I want to take a break from Romans to really just look at and discover, well, what is it that really shaped Paul, that helped him to be that godly man, that helped him to endure the difficulty of his life, that ultimately helped him go so deep, in his relationship with the Lord and others. And so we're going to look at what Paul shares with us in Philippians chapter one, uh, verses 12 through 21. And here in Philippians, we're, we're, we're going to see what Paul lived for. We're going to see what Ultimately, his life was all about what enabled him to respond in in godly ways to horrible circumstances and what helped him to go deeper in his relationship with the Lord, what enabled him to love people of a different culture and background so much that he traveled far and wide to reach them. Let's see what he has to share here in Philippians 1, 12-21. It says this, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my, my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, "...not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice." For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But Paul here shares at the end of this how he finishes this whole statement of all these things he says. He comes with this wonderful, powerful truth. He says something that kind of marked his perspective on life. The way in which he lived. The way in which he looked at life. What he went about. What stood for his priorities and goals. What ultimately influenced the attitudes he had, especially concerning trials and hardship and persecution. He says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Living for Christ was what Paul's life was all about. That's what mattered most to Paul. That's what drove Paul to live the way he lived, to do what he did, to endure what he endured. The statement sums up what Paul's life was all about. It was all about living for Jesus. But you know what? That's not something that Paul just claimed. He didn't just say, hey, I'm someone who lives for Christ. For me to live is Christ. That's what defines the way in which I live. He didn't just claim that. He showed it through the way in which he lived. Through his actions, you could see that that statement was true in the life of Paul. You know, I'm sure all of us have encountered people who said certain things about themselves and then their actions contradicted that. They claim certain things about what they were capable of or, or something about themselves. And then you watch their life and you realize that statement wasn't true. That their actions show that what they're claiming about themselves isn't the reality of what they're actually living. Before I went to Bible college, I served at a Christian camp in Tyler, Texas called Pine Cove. And, uh, you know, I was a counselor to the high schoolers and did different things. But one of the things I really enjoyed was, you know, I got to drive a boat and teach people how to water ski and wakeboard. And we had one student that came there and his name was George. And it's one I remember well because of the story I'm going to tell. But he brought his own wakeboard to the camp and it had all these stickers of the different people who normally promote you know, professional riders, and he was telling us, Man, all these guys are about to sign me because I'm about to go pro. And so everyone's thinking, Man, you must be a really great wakeboard. And he's going around telling about how wonderful he is at this. And so, you know, the first few days, you just have the camp stuff. And then all of a sudden, we get to go to the lake and we get to get on the boats and we get to go and, and ride. And so I'm the one in the boat that's driving George, and he gets in there with his wakeboard. And there's seven other people that are in the boat, and all these people now now come to the lake because they want to see, wow, how good is this guy really going to be? And so he wants to, you know, go first. And I'm like, okay, great. And he tells me, you know what, you're not going to need to teach me anything, you know, because I I got this covered. I'm going to go pro And, and everyone's just excited to see him go. And so he gets in the water and, you know, I take off and he gets up. And he's just kind of riding just right behind the wake. And we're just, you know, we're waiting. All right, let's see him do something. So he finally goes goes outside the wake. And if you don't know about wakeboarding, you'll come into the wake. And you're going to jump off it and do your big tricks. And And, you know, if you're almost pro, you're going to be doing lots of great tricks. And he comes to the wake. And right when he gets to it, boom. Falls flat on his face and, you know, I drive around, get him, and oh, you know, I make some excuse and, you know, so we pull him up again, comes out, comes to the wake, boom, falls down again. This happens five different times and each time, you know, oh, the board is this and oh, you know, my my booty wasn't on tight enough. He's making excuses for everything. He finally gets back into the boat. Everyone in the boat, everyone on the shore realizes George doesn't know how to ride very well. He's definitely not anywhere close to being pro. This was all just something that he said that didn't match the reality of his life. And you know, I think too often we have people who make claims about especially their Christian life, about how spiritual they are, about what they're able to endure, about what they're doing for Christ. And then you look at their life and it doesn't match, not even close. But Paul wasn't that type of person. He makes a statement that's a pretty bold statement to live as Christ, to die as gain. You're thinking, well, did your life match that, Paul? And the amazing thing is, yes, it did. When you look at Paul's life after his conversion, you can see that Paul lived for Christ in his actions, in his attitudes, in his priorities, and in his goals. But you look at Paul's life before his conversion, You can see what he lived for that was contrary to Christ in those same four areas, in his actions, attitudes, priorities, and goals. You see, before Paul chose to accept Christ, before he got saved, his desire was to destroy Christians, to destroy Christianity, to destroy anyone who would dare claim that Jesus Christ was God. He went out and he was doing all these things to try and destroy that, and it was seen in his priorities. His priorities were to go. He was willing to even travel away from his home all the way up to Damascus so he could get people and imprison them and kill them for following Jesus. His attitude towards Christ and Christians was one of contempt, one of hatred. And his actions fit what he lived for. We're told he went from house to house taking people who believed in Jesus, imprisoning them, and ultimately many of them killing them. Now I want you to think about something. What was it that caused Paul to go from this man who was a murderer of Christians to being one of the greatest missionaries ever? What caused him to go from hatred towards Christ to someone who gave his life completely for living for Christ? Paul tells us the answer to that question in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. It says this, For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And if he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Here Paul reveals something very important about what it was that changed his life personally and what it is that should change our lives as well. What took him from murderer to missionary? What took him from a hater of Jesus to a lover of Jesus? He says the love of Christ should compel us to no longer live for ourselves, but for Jesus who showed us His love by dying on the cross for our sins. You see, the fact that Christ demonstrated His love for Paul in such a a powerful way moved Paul to say, you know what, I now no longer want to live for me. I no longer have just a love for Paul. I I have a love for the One who loved me. I have a love for Christ, and it's compelled me to change the way in which I live. It, It moves me. It impacts me. It's motivated me to live my life for Jesus Christ. A good question to ask yourself is, what has been your response to the reality and truth that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, for your sin? He took the judgment that you deserve. Now I'm sure most of us can say that we responded to what Christ has done for us by placing our faith in Him, trusting in Him. And that's a great starting point. But what has Christ done for you that has compelled you, has it done more than just saying, I trust Him, but now have I got to a point where I say, you know what, I want to give my life completely to Him. Has it changed who or what we live for? What Christ has done for us should compel us to what Paul says, live for Him, not for ourselves. I believe the more we understand how much Jesus has done for us, the more we understand how much He loves us, the natural byproduct of that is it compels us. It compels us to see how much He is worthy of our lives. It compels us to recognize, I need to be living for something far more than just the pleasures of this life, than for myself. I need to be living for the One who gave His life for me. We clearly see this in Paul's life, not only with the statement for me to live as Christ, but with the life that he lived for Christ. Now, the challenge for us is how do we describe the way in which we live? I want you to fill in this question this this blank here. For me to live is what what would you put in that you know if if I were to pose that question or someone were to pose that question to you, for me to live is what are you living for? What would you fill in the blank with? And I want you to be honest with yourself, not what the the right answer is. We know as Christians we should say Christ. Yes, we should say that. But I'm asking you, what is it that you're really living for? Is Christ who you are truly living for? Perhaps you would say to me, for me to live, if I'm honest, is my family. For me to live is my spouse. For me to live is my kids, myself, my friends, my money, my job, pleasure, whatever it is. Maybe for some of us, if we're honest, Christ isn't the, the real reason that we live. We have something else that's there. And something I want you to understand is the answer to that question of how you're actually living. is not discovered in what you want to live for or what you wish you live for what you know you should live for. It's discovered in what you're actually living for. You see, whatever you fill in that blank with is going to be seen by four important areas of your life. It's going to be seen in your actions. It's going to be seen in your attitudes. It's going to be seen in your priorities and your goals. If you're not sure what the answer to that question is, look at your actions, look at your attitude, look at your priorities, look at your goals of life And you're going to start to discover whether or not the answer is Christ or something else. For example, if you were to say, for me to live is money. Then all you got to do is look at your priorities. Because you know what? Your priorities are going to be centered around making lots of it. It's probably going to be the number one priority of your life. Is for me to live as money, then that's what is most important to me. And I can see within my priorities, that's what I'm living for because I want so much more of it. Your goal is going to be centered around how you can get much more money than you have now. Your attitudes will be centered around making more money. So if you're making lots of money, man, you're going to have a great attitude. But if you're losing money, your attitude is going to stink. Your actions will be centered around making money. You would do all you can to get more money. Money is ultimately going to dictate your life. You're going to make choices about life based on how you can acquire more of it. Now, if you were to say what I'm sure all of us would like to say, for me to live as Christ, then those same four areas, we're going to see it. You're going to look at your priorities. And within your priorities, you're going to see living for Jesus is my number one Priority. My goals are centered around living for Jesus. That's the main goal, to live for Him, to bring Him glory and honor. My attitude's going to be centered around living for Jesus, and when I'm living for Him, man, it's going to be great, and my attitude's going to be great, but when I'm not living for Him, I'm going to realize there's something wrong here. And my attitude is not going to be good. My actions will be centered on living for Jesus. It'll be seen like we see in the life of Paul, in the book of Acts. It would be seen in our life. If someone were to look, they would say, your actions show that you truly do for you to live is Christ. So if you really want to know the honest answer to the question in your life, look at your actions. Look at your attitude. Look at your priorities. Look at your goals of life. You're going to start to see whether or not Jesus is really the answer to that question. Something important to realize is, you know, we can claim we're living for one thing and start to discover as we look at these four areas of our life that that's not true. I've had times in my Christian life where I thought I could say for me to live as Christ, and I started to look at these areas and I realized, you know what? That's not true of me right now. That's not really what I'm living for. That's not really what my priorities are about. There definitely was a time early on in my Christian life where still my priority and desire, I didn't have it, but yet I was living to try to get it with money. I wanted to no longer, I grew up in a poor family. It's like, no, that's not going to be me. And so it wasn't to live as Christ. It was to live as to acquire lots of wealth. I remember claiming to live with, for me to live as Christ, and I started to really look at my attitudes, actions, priorities, and goals, and I had to conclude: actually, right now, for me to live my, for myself, that's what I'm living for. I might want to say it's for Jesus, but if I'm honest with myself, it's not for Jesus. I'm living for me. You know, I think what we live for in areas of different li- our things, we often just we lie to ourselves. We want to make ourselves believe, oh, I'm living for Jesus, especially as Christians. And sometimes this is not the case. We need to be honest because we're not honest and we don't see the areas that need to change. If I'm not honest and say, you know what? Yeah, my priorities are messed up. My goals are out of whack. You know, my attitude's not right. my My heart in this is just not where it should be. These things need to change because ultimately I should be as a believer in Jesus Christ living for him. I've spent a lot of time emphasizing how we can determine what we live for because I do want us to be real with ourselves. I want us to discover this, and I want you to examine your actions, attitudes, priorities, and goals because I want you to be able to, at the end of this, be real and say, what is it I truly am living for? And the whole point of that is because if it's not for Jesus, my challenge to you before we end this time today together is to say, Lord, I need help to change. Cause that's not where I want to stay. If it's not for you, then please don't let me walk out and live another day with the wrong priorities, with the wrong actions, with the wrong attitudes, with the wrong goals. Help me to change to live for you. We're going to look at <clears throat> two main areas that what you live for really affect and impact. And we're going to see how those two areas definitely affected and impact Paul's Life and the lives of those that he ministered to. And those two areas are your relationships and how you respond to your circumstances. What you live for has a direct impact on your relationships and how you respond to your circumstances. Philippians 1 12 through 21, we're going to see four responses that Paul has to what life throws his way, and Paul's life has a lot of difficulties. And I want you to know that the reason that Paul is able to respond in a godly way, and we sometimes look and we think, how in the world do you do this, Paul? How do you respond this way? I mean, if I was in that situation, if I found myself with those people who wanted to take my life, I wouldn't respond that way. How do you do it? Well, it really comes back to what is it that Paul lived for? Because he lived for Christ, it enabled him to respond to these things in a godly way. And the same is true for us. What we live for, it directly impacts how we respond to the difficulties and the blessings of life. It impacts our relationship with God. It impacts our relationship with others. And as we look at Paul's circumstances, and as we look at how he responds, I want you to put yourself in his shoes. I want you to think about if this was me and I had to face this type of circumstance and I had to go through this hardship, how do you, would I respond in this type of thing? And I think that might be revealing to what you're actually living for. Well, let's look at the first circumstance that Paul has a godly response to because he's living for Christ in verses 12 and 13. Uh, it says this, you change it? Oh, I got, it. but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ, because Paul lived for Christ, the first thing I want you to take note of is that he was able to glorify God in a difficult situation. <laughs> Something important to understand is that Paul, as he's writing to the Philippian believers, he's actually writing from prison. And every day he would have been chained to different guards. And the reason Paul's in prison is not because he's a thief. It's not because he's a murderer. It's not because he's a bad guy. He's in prison for one reason, and one reason alone. He was faithful to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who needed to hear it. That's why he's in prison. Uh, Lord, I've done what you've called me to do. As we looked at last week, that relationship he had to the Gentiles was because of the calling of God in his life to reach Gentiles with the gospel. And so he goes there and he preaches the gospel just like God had called him to do. And what happens? He gets thrown in prison. He gets thrown in prison for doing what God called him to do. And, And I want you to now think about how you would respond. If you were in prison for preaching the gospel, You haven't done anything wrong. You're doing what God has told you to do. And the consequence of that now is you have been placed in prison for obeying Jesus. Now, I'm pretty confident that if you were not living for Christ, you wouldn't respond very well by being placed in prison. You definitely wouldn't have a godly response if that was a circumstance that you were living for. If we were living for money, I'm sure you'd be pretty upset with all the money that you were losing sitting there rotting away in prison. If you were living for your job, you'd be upset about the fact that you're not able to do your job, and now you might lose your job because you're there in prison. If you were living for your family, you'd be upset thinking about how much you're missing them, and you won't get to see them, and who knows when you're going to get out to spend time with them again. If you're living for yourself, you'd probably just be having a pity party with, Oh, this is so unfair. Why am I here? I didn't do anything wrong. Paul's in a difficult situation. He's in prison for sharing the gospel, but remember, for him, to live as Christ. That's what he's living for, and because he's living for Jesus, it impacts his response to this unfortunate reality that he has found himself in. Paul responds to this difficult situation by seeing it as an opportunity to glorify God. And he does that, by sharing the gospel with every single guard that's chained to him. You see, Paul looks at it this way. Hey, these guys can't go anywhere. They're chained to me. They're forced to be with me for hours a day I can't go from them, but guess what? They can't go from me, so they're a captive audience. And for every guard that they bring in here and they chain to me, instead of complaining to them, instead of telling them, you know what, I really don't belong here. You know what, maybe you should talk to the the warden here and get me out. No, it just says, you know what, you're going to sit here for the next several hours or however long, and I am going to share the gospel with you. And then you're going to go and they're going to bring your replacement and I'm going to do the exact same thing with him. And then another guy is going to come in and I'm going to preach to him as well. I'm going to use this as an opportunity to glorify God through sharing the gospel. And notice what Paul says the result is. It turned out for the furtherance of the gospel that the gospel spread throughout the whole palace guard. So... Not only are these guards who are chained to him here, man, the whole prison, the whole palace guard is hearing about Paul being chained for Christ, is hearing this truth of this reality. Warren Wiersbe said this, The same God who used Moses' rod, Gideon's pitchers, and David's sling used Paul's chains. Little did the Romans realize that the chains they affixed to his wrist would release Paul instead of bind him. You know, I love what Warren Wiersbe says here. I'm sure the Romans finally thought, we're going to shut this guy up once and for all. We're going to put him in a prison cell. We're going to chain him to a guard. And that'll be the end of this gospel preaching man. We're going to end it here and now. And these chains are going to be what we use. And instead, Paul says, all right, fine. (laughs) I'll take this chain and I'll take the guy that I'm chained to. And I'm just going to keep preaching. I'll preach to him and the next one and the next one. You're not going to stop me from living for Christ. Paul didn't see a situation as an opportunity to sulk, an opportunity to whine, an opportunity to get depressed. He saw it as an opportunity to glorify God by preaching the gospel. I think it's amazing. He doesn't complain about his chains. Instead, he uses them for the glory of God. All of us go through difficult situations like Paul. Maybe it's a tough job. Maybe it's no job. Maybe it's family or a spouse. or or a loved one that doesn't know Christ, an illness. No matter what it is, when we encounter those situations, we we basically have two choices as to how we're going to respond. We can respond by complaining, by sulking, by getting angry. Why, God, would you allow this in my life? And just getting all upset over what we're having to deal with. Or we can choose, like Paul, to say, for me to live as Christ. And because of that, I'm going to make the most of this. I'm going to glorify God in this. I'm going to find a way within this circumstance to bring glory to Jesus, the one that I live for. You can come to God. You can ask Him, Lord, I want to make the most of this. I want You to help me to do that. I want You to show me how I can accomplish that. Remembering He loves you. Remembering He died for you. Remember He promised He'll never leave you nor forsake you so you can make a choice in that difficult situation to say i'm going to use it for the glory of god so when paul chose to make the most of his difficult situation notice it didn't just affect him and this is something i think is so important because sometimes like you oh, know it's all about us but we realize you know what the response that we have to life's problems don't just impact ourselves notice what verse 14 says And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Notice now, Paul, he has this circumstance. He's thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. And I want you to imagine now that you are the churches that are around there. Here's the man who's the bold one, who's the missionary, who's going from place to place preaching the gospel. And it's an encouragement. You say, wow, look at what Paul... Oh... Look at what just happened to Paul. Paul's now thrown into prison. He's now chained up. I don't know if I want to follow in that footstep. I don't know if I want to preach the gospel. I don't know if I want that to happen to me. And I'm sure that there are many people now saying, maybe we should just do this more incognito. Maybe we should be a little quieter. Maybe we shouldn't be so bold in our proclamation of the gospel. Because look, Paul was just imprisoned. But then all of a sudden, the story gets out. Man, Paul's in prison, but he's still preaching. The whole palace guards heard about it. Look at Paul. Even in that, he's still going strong. And all of a sudden, these believers who I'm sure had some fear because of what happened with Paul, now because of his response to his situation, they were much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul's response to his difficult situation not only helped him reach the lost there in prison, but it also helped him reach the saved. It helped him encourage those who already knew Christ to continue boldly to do what God had called them to do and preach the gospel regardless of what might happen to them. He was an example of even in this, I'm going to give glory to God. I'm going to live for Christ. And they saw that and they were emboldened to say, we're going to do the same. We need to understand that how we respond to difficult situations, it doesn't just impact us. It impacts those around us and it can impact them very negatively. Or very positively. And that's going to depend on how we respond. If our response is to whine and sulk and, and be angry and shout at God and get all upset and they're going to see that and it's not going to benefit them. But if our response is to live for Christ, to find ways to glorify Him, to make the most of that difficult circumstance, all of a sudden that's an example that hopefully you would want your children, that you would want your loved ones, that you would want family, extended family, neighbors, coworkers to see and also To follow. But your response is going to depend on what you're living for. That's the key here. If you're living for Christ, you're going to do that. If you're not, you're not going to. So because Paul lived for Christ, the first thing he was able to do was to glorify God in a difficult situation. Because he did that, many guards got saved. Many believers were encouraged to boldly preach the gospel without fear. The second uh, circumstance that Paul responds to in a godly way because he lived for Christ is in verses 15 through 18. It says this, Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Here Paul reveals, you know, there's a lot of people preaching the gospel for different reasons, with different motivations. The first one were were those who were preaching because of a sincere love for Jesus and a sincere love for those who were lost. They, they love God. They believe in Him. They love people who don't know Jesus. And they're preaching the gospel for that sake. They want to see people come to know Christ. That should be the motivation that we have for preaching the gospel. A love for God, a love for others. And Paul says, there's a group that's doing it for that. That was a p- motivation that Paul had. There's others in that category as well. But not every person preached Christ because they loved Him and because they love the lost. That Second, Paul says there were those who preached Christ out of selfish ambition. They preached Christ in order maybe to be noticed. They preached Him in order to be important. They wanted people to see, think highly of them. They, they wanted to, to, to get something out of it. And maybe even money and support and different things. And so there was a selfish ambition that drove some people to proclaim the gospel. Third, we're told... That there were those that preached the Gospel because they wanted to make it harder on Paul. They hated Paul. And they thought, you know what, if we preach this Gospel that the Roman Empire doesn't want to see happening, that these Jews don't want to hear, hey, maybe it'll make life even harder on Paul. And so we're going to preach it to destroy his life, to make his life more miserable. Now, I want you to think about how you would respond if you were in this situation. If your passion, your calling in life was to preach the gospel and you did it and you're imprisoned and you hear others are preaching the gospel, some for the good reasons and motivation of loving God and loving others, but others are doing it to make your life miserable. Others are doing it just to get what they can get from it. How would that make you feel? How would you respond to that? Once again, I really think that's going to depend on what you're living for. If you're living for yourself, you're going to be pretty upset that life's harder for you now. Why are they doing that? Why are they preaching the gospel just to make life hard for me? If that's what you're living for, you're not going to be pleased that someone has that motivation. If you're living for money, you might be upset that you're getting things from preaching the gospel and now other, things are, other people are getting it too, and so they're taking some of what you could have had. If you're living for your job, you'd be upset that these people were prolonging your prison time, keeping you from that job. Paul sees these people sharing the gospel with wrong motives, and I want you to notice what he says in verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Because Paul lived for Christ, the second thing I want you to take note of is he was able to overlook the wrong motives of others. Paul didn't get angry. He didn't get upset. How dare they try to make my life hard? How dare they try to make money off the gospel? He was able to overlook the wrong motives of these men. He was able to leave these men and these motives that they had between them and the Lord and let the Lord deal with it. And you know what? He was able to rejoice in something. Hey, even though some of these people are doing it for money, the gospel's going out and people are getting saved. Even some of these people are doing it to make my life more miserable and they're succeeding in that, but you know what? The gospel's still going out and more people are getting saved. And so I rejoice in the fact that even though they're doing it for the wrong motives, they're actually preaching the true gospel message and people are hearing it and getting saved. And in that, I rejoice. Paul was able to say, I don't let the motives of these men get me down. I don't let the fact that they're trying to hurt me get me down. Because in the midst of it all, Jesus Christ is being preached. And that's what I live for. And that's what's most important to me. And since that is going out, I can take joy in it. You see, the fact that Paul lived for Jesus helped him to be more concerned about what people thought about Jesus than what people thought about him. He was more concerned about people coming to know Jesus in his own comforts. Hey, yeah, I'm in prison. They're making life harder on me. But you know what? I rejoice because people are coming to Jesus. People are, are knowing about Jesus. And if it's hard for me and I'm uncomfortable, that's okay. Because the ultimate goal is to live for Christ. And if that's the, what's happening in this, I'll rejoice. I think a good question to ask ourselves is what are you more concerned about? What people think about you? Or what people think about Christ? What are you more concerned about? Your comfort or people knowing Jesus? If we're living for Christ, then we should be more concerned about what people think about Him than us. If we're living for Christ, then we should be more concerned about people knowing Him than the comfort that we have in this life on this earth. So because Paul lived for Christ, the first thing he was able to do was glorify God in a difficult situation. The second thing he was able to do was overlook the wrong motives of others. And the third thing that Paul's able to do is in verses 19 and 20. Notice what it says. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. You know, Paul was in a situation that most people would consider as hopeless. You're imprisoned. You don't know when you're getting out. You haven't done anything wrong except preach the gospel. Many people look at that as this is a hopeless situation. Now, I want you to think about how you would respond. If you were in that hopeless situation that Paul was, How would you respond if you didn't know when you were going to get out of prison? You didn't know how long you were going to be there. You didn't know if there was an even greater consequence coming like execution. If you were living for yourself, you'd probably be pretty down, pretty depressed. Not knowing how long you were going to rot away. Not knowing what the end result might be. Not knowing if you'd ever get out. If you're living for money, a job, a family. Once again, it'd be a pretty hopeless situation. Because all those things wouldn't be able to be, you know, the priorities and the goals for those things would have never been able to brought to fruition if you're there in prison. But notice what Paul says in verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing it shall be, I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. I want you to understand here, Paul's ultimate hope wasn't that he would get out of prison. I'm sure he wanted that. I'm sure he desired to go and continue to preach the gospel beyond, you know, this prison cell. But his ultimate hope wasn't in that. His hope wasn't that he'd be removed from his difficult situation. Paul's hope was that he had an absolute expectation that Christ would be magnified in his body. That no matter what happened, that Christ would be magnified. And notice the statement he says, that Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. But you know what? Hey, he might be magnified in in me here and how I live in prison. He might be magnified in me getting out and continuing to live for him outside of prison. Or if this is the end, if I'm going to be executed here in this prison, then he's going to be magnified in my death. That no matter what, Christ will be magnified. Warren Wiersbe asks a very interesting question in his commentary on this verse. He says, does Christ need to be magnified? After all, how can a mere human being ever magnify the Son of God? Well, the stars are much bigger than the telescope, yet the telescope magnifies them and brings them closer. The believer's body is to be a telescope that brings Jesus Christ close to people. To the average person, Christ is a misty figure in history who lived centuries ago, but as the unsaved watch the believer go through a crisis, they can see Jesus magnified and brought so much closer. I like what Warren Wiersbe says here about how we as Christians have the opportunity and the way in which we live to magnify Jesus Christ to a world that for many don't believe Him, or just he's that misty figure in history, someone that, that that's not close, that's not real, that's not apparent who he is and what he's done. And all of a sudden, our life can be like that telescope that takes this distant Christ, this one that they're, they're not clear on, and bring him close. And all of a sudden, they start to see Jesus in a way that they never did before, because We are ambassadors for Christ. We are to be a light to this world, a salt to the earth. We, through our actions and our life, are to be those that represent Jesus so that a world that doesn't know Him and doesn't see Him can start to get a picture of what He's like. And then we are also the ones to share the good news of the Gospel so they can understand who Jesus is and what He's done for them. Because Paul lived for Christ The third thing I want you to note is he was able to keep his hope alive in the midst of a hopeless situation. Paul was able to have hope in a a hopeless situation of being in prison, not knowing the future, not knowing what would happen, because he realized this hopeless situation is a perfect way for Jesus to be magnified through my life as I share with these prisoners and these uh, guards every day or through my death. The worst they could do to Paul was to kill him, but he still had hope because he had confidence that even if they kill me, Jesus is going to be magnified. Now that kind of response to a difficult situation that might up, end up killing you. <laughs> that only comes if you truly are living for Christ. If you're living for yourself, that's definitely not going to be your mindset, your attitude. Everything's going to be about surviving and living because it's all about me. In every situation you find yourself in, Is it the most important thing to you to magnify Jesus? To magnify Him with your life, with your actions, with what you're pursuing. So because Paul lived for Jesus, the first thing he was able to do was glorify God in a difficult situation. The second thing he was able to do was overlook the wrong motives of others. The third thing he was able to do was keep his hope alive in the midst of a hopeless situation. And the final thing we're going to look at is that verse that we started with. Verse 21, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. We've already focused on the first part of that statement, for me to live as Christ, and how it's impacted all these areas of Paul's life. But now that latter part of the statement is also so vital for us. He, he says, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Christ didn't just impact Paul's view on life. Christ impacted Paul's view on death. Most people fear death. Most people see death as a a horrible loss, something they, 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 they want never to happen. But Paul says to die is gain. Because Paul knew something. Hey, when I die, I'm gaining heaven. When I die, I'm going to a place where there's no more sadness, there's no more sickness, there's no more tears, there's no more suffering. I'm going from this body that has all these wounds from being beaten and from being shipwrecked and from being stoned, and I'm going to be able to go and get a new glorified body where there's no more pain and suffering, and I'm going to live with the one who loved me enough to die on the cross for me. Paul realized death is a gain. Death. We go from this world with all its problems to heaven with all its wonderful, glorious things. Because Paul lived for Christ, the fourth thing I want you to note is he was able to see death as a gain, not a loss. When we're living for Christ, that should be the mindset. You know what? Death, I'm not afraid of it because death's a gain. As a believer in Jesus, it's a gain. It's not something that you have to look at and say it's a loss. It might be a loss for a family and friends who miss you and and wish you were still there, but you know what? If they believe in Christ, it's only a temporary loss. It's only a short time of separation before we're all back together again in eternity with God in heaven. When you're living for something other than Christ, Death is not something that you see as gain. It's definitely something that you see as loss. People who are not living for Christ, they might say, for me to live is money and to die is to leave it all behind. For me to live is fame and to die is to be forgotten. For me to live is power and to die is to lose it. For me to live is my career and to die would be to waste all my hard work. For me to live as my family, and to die would be to abandon them. For me to live as myself, and to die would be to lose what I care about the most. What you're living for is going to influence the second part of that statement of what you see when you look at death. Is it a loss or is it a gain? Really the only way it's a real gain is when you're living for Jesus Christ and you realize, hey, you know what? Death. It's not something I have to look at as a loss anymore. Paul would say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But what would you say? What would you say about your life? I already threw out the challenge of, you know, for me to live is what? But I want you to finish that. But to die is what in your life as well? Because what you have to live for is going to influence that second part of whether or not death is truly something that you see as a gain and where you're going. And you know what, if you're living for Christ in this life, the rewards that come in the next. You can't wait to get there. can't wait to be with Jesus who you've been living for in this life. You know what, if your answer to this question is not Christ, you know what, things can change in your life. And that's the wonderful reality of the Christian life. There's so many times in our life where we're not doing what's right, but we don't have to stay in that place. God is gracious, He forgives, but not only that, He can empower us to change. He can give us what we need to do what He's called us to do. So right now you might say, you know what, for me to live is not Christ, and you fill it in the blanks with something other than Him, and you realize that's not what I want to continue to be. Well, Christ can change you. If you're honest with yourself and say, yes, that's not me today. I want to be someone who can truly make the statement for me to live as Christ and back it up by the way in which I live and that I see death as a gain, not as a loss. Well, then ultimately, if you want that and you bring that to the Lord and you ask for his help to change, he can enable you to do that. You don't have to stay in that place. You don't have to be content being there. The Lord wants us to all be in the place where Paul was. That we truly can say to live is Christ, to die is gain, and to see what the Lord will do in that. You know, I think it's amazing. You look at Paul's life when he says to die is gain. You know, what do you do to deter a guy like that? I mean, that's one of the biggest deterring factors in our world. That the worst sentence you can get is death. And it's reserved for the worst crimes that we have. Why? Because it's the biggest deterrent. You don't stop. We'll kill you. Oh, well, okay, I'm going to stop. And you know, we have all these other deterrents, but the final one is we'll take your life. But you know what? When you're someone who says, to die is gain? I'm going to preach Christ. No, you're not. We'll imprison you. Okay, well, then I'll preach to the guards. We'll, find, we'll finally kill you. Hey, then I'll go be with Jesus. Where Paul says it's far better. How do you deter someone like that when they see the reality that death isn't bad, it's ultimately taking you to something better? What's bad is not living for Christ in the time that we have. So so often this world, they want to deter us. But when you truly can be someone who lives for Christ and sees death as a gain, what can they do? What can they ultimately do to stop the church that has that kind of focus and that kind of mindset? Paul's a great example of this perspective. We saw that last week in Romans of just his priorities, the perspective he had on ministry, what he was willing to go through. But yet really now we see it comes back to this heart that says, what I'm living for is Jesus. That's what it's all about, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. And that's where the Lord wants us to be as well. And when we're living for Christ, the great thing is, We can respond like he did by glorifying God in a difficult situation, by overlooking the wrong motives of others, by keeping hope alive in the midst of a hopeless situation, by seeing death as a gain, not a loss.